thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. My name is Scotty Hill, and I'm a ministry resident here at Cedar Springs, which means that I'm taking seminary classes and getting trained in pastoral ministry uh, here at the church. Uh, Previous to that, I got to do student ministry here for six years. And so it is just a great honor and joy to get to be here with you all uh, training and in this role, but also to get to be here this morning to open up God's word. Uh, My running joke throughout the week has been the same way that a teenager, uh, you get when they're learning to drive, you get the bumper sticker that says, please be patient, student driver. Could get one up here for the pulpit right across. But in all seriousness, I am so excited to get to dive into God's word and to continue on in our series in the Apostles' Creed. We've been going through that this summer. Uh, As a reminder, it is a summary of the core Christian beliefs. It's not everything that we believe, but these are the things that we as Christians must affirm and hold fast to. Last week, Doug talked through the, uh, the line that says, he descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead. So I just barely dodged one. Uh, and instead, I get the glorious news that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The text we're going to look at this morning is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I'm going to read that for you now. And as we read it, we will see our King Jesus ascending into glory. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, thank you for this chance to gather, to open up your word, to see this amazing passage. Uh, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, uh, that we would see Jesus in all of his glory, that we would see the good news that he ascended to your right hand and sits there even now. God, would you open our hearts to, to believe that truth and to know it? Let's pray. Amen. There are some people in history that will always be remembered for one specific moment in time. One image that we kind of always will remember them by. We think about George Washington and we see him crossing the Delaware looking strong and valiant. 
Uh, we think about Neil Armstrong, and he might have worn a spacesuit for less than 1% of his life, but we'll always see him there. He might have had a full life outside of that, lots of hobbies. We'll never know because he's in a spacesuit forever. Michael Jordan, we picture him flying through the air, this image now on millions of shoes around the world. We always will associate him there. And again, when we see these, they might have led full lives outside of these moments, and we're not getting the full story, but they'll always be in that, that picture for us. I wonder if sometimes we do the same thing with Jesus. There are parts of his life and his ministry and his work that, that we love to celebrate, and, and we should. These are beautiful, amazing moments. And we, we think about at Christmas how we celebrate his virgin birth, and it's a miracle, and it's incredible. And so we, maybe we picture Jesus as a baby in a manger. And we, at Easter, we celebrate that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. So maybe the image that you have for Jesus is of a man on a cross. Or maybe we, we love to talk about the miracles of Jesus and the things that he did as he walked among people in Jerusalem and all over. And, and we, maybe that's our picture, is that we see a man 2,000 years ago an ancient, distant reality. And all of these pictures, though good, true, beautiful parts of who Jesus is, they give us an incomplete picture. They're not telling us the full story. Because we know that Jesus died on the cross and he was raised up from the dead. We know that part by heart. And we also say that he's going to come again one day. But what about in the in-between? What about right now, even in this moment? Where, where is Jesus and what is he doing? Have we considered these questions? I think they're worth our consideration because as Christians, we are people who, who have, are called to give our entire lives to Jesus, to orient everything about our lives around him. Week after week, we come to church and we worship him and we pray in Jesus's name and we feast on his body and blood at the table. And when we're called to live lives of self-sacrifice, of humility, to think of others better than ourselves, we're, and it is not always easy. The things that Jesus too, sometimes, the things that Jesus calls us to are sometimes rather costly. And for us to have the strength and the courage and the resolve to follow him in the things that he's calling us to, to give our lives to him, a picture of a baby in a manger or a man walking around 2,000 years ago aren't going to cut it. We need to see Jesus in all of his glory. And that is what our line this morning helps us to do. It points to us and it shows us where Jesus is and what he is doing. It shows that he ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And as we see that, we will start to see the full picture. We'll start to see Jesus in all of his glory as he even now is right now. So to start, where is Jesus now? Again, we know that he, he rose from the dead. We talked about that last week. Uh, and we don't have any record of him dying. And we also don't see him uh, walking around earth right now. If he didn't die again, if he's not on earth right now, where is he? Uh, thankfully, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, as well as the book of Acts, tells us. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, it tells us that uh, Jesus lived and walked among people for 40 days. 
Most of those days are unaccounted for, uh, but we know that it, scripture tells us that he uh, spent time with the disciples, that he taught about the kingdom of God, that he ate with the disciples. He was truly alive in a physical, real body that could be seen and touched. And, and as he spent time with disciples uh, at the beginning of Acts, again, he's, he's giving them instructions for what they are to do next. And then in verses, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So one minute the disciples are there with Jesus, having a real conversation with him. He is there in the flesh. They can see him, they can touch him, they can talk to him. And then they literally see him ascending, that is being lifted up. And then a cloud took him out of their sight. And it's important for us to see that he did not just dissolve into nothing, he wasn't magically teleported somewhere else on earth. And, and, a, and a, he didn't just like turn into a spirit and disappear. The truly alive, physical, resurrected body of Jesus ascended into heaven. It's a physical change of location. He was at the Mount of Olives, can be found on a map, and now he is in heaven with God the Father. Where exactly is heaven? That's a great question. Uh, the scripture commonly refers to it as up, as we also think about the heavens above. Uh, even the word for heaven uh, is the same word that we use for skies in, in Greek. Uh, and so we, we are right to have that image of heaven being up. Uh, but also, it's not a place that we could somehow get to if we had an amazing plane and could just go high and high enough into the air that eventually we would break into heaven. Uh, it is a altogether different place outside of space and time, and yet it is a real, true place where God truly dwells. That's the simplest way for us to think about it, is that it is where God's presence is, and it will one day come down to earth. God and will have the new heavens and the new earth. But importantly for us to see this morning, it is, is the answer to the question of where is Jesus? He is in heaven with God the Father. The disciples saw him ascend to heaven. The angels confirmed it. Uh, if there was any doubt about where he went, the angels say, yes, he's in heaven. Uh, but the, the second part of our line in the creed says specifically, he's at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Where is that language of the right hand coming from? That too comes from scriptures. Uh, the Old Testament reading that Mike read for us earlier in Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's in the Old Testament, but it's pointing ahead to Jesus, the King. Jesus himself tells us that this is where he's going. In Matthew 26, 64, he says, But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It's all throughout the New Testament letters, the apostles, they all, they all affirm Jesus at the right hand. Hebrews 8.1 is one great example. We have such a great high priest, who one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. This idea of being at the right hand is it's a human expression that's communicating a heavenly reality. 
And then this idea of being at the right hand, if I say someone is my right hand man, uh, it means that I would give him my phone and my keys and my wallet, which is basically your whole life now. And, and I would trust that he would use it exactly how I would use it. I give him full authority to do with it as he wishes because he is my right hand man. There's a union there that is so close. It's almost as one. And with God the Father, Jesus the Son, it is one. But also in ancient times, the idea of being at the right hand also communicated royalty. It communicated a place of honor. When Jesus takes his place at the right hand of God, he is ascending to the throne. He is sitting as the king. Scripture tells us clearly that's where he is. Now's a great time for us to realize that uh, if you're not a Christian here, and, and if you're not sure if this could be true, uh, or even if you are a Christian, but it still sounds a little abstract and a little crazy, uh, it, it's worth us recognizing that we as Christians, we do believe some spectacularly wild things. And, and I think that we have great reason to. But if you're not convinced of that, I would just ask this morning that would you consider, what if it's true? What if this crazy wild event really did happen? What if the, the eyewitness accounts and the testimony of scripture and thousands of years of church history, what if they are all telling the truth that God became man and dwelt among us? And then that man ascended into heaven and now reigns over the universe. What if that was true? How would that change things? As we think about the disciples, it changed everything for them. They were willing to risk their lives to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because of a rumor or a myth about where Jesus was, but because they saw him with their own eyes, physically lifted up, ascended into heaven. It was enough to give their lives to. And it is for us as well. Jesus' ascension does a few things for the disciples that empowers them to do that, and it does the same things for us. First, when we see Jesus ascending into heaven, we have assurance that our sins are truly forgiven. See, when Jesus went to the cross, it says that he is doing this transfer. He takes our sin upon himself. All of our mess, all of our guilt, all of our shame comes onto himself, and he goes to the cross with it. But then we also now are seeing him raised up into heaven, which is a holy, perfect place. It's where God's presence dwells perfectly. And so for Jesus to enter into heaven must mean that he is perfectly holy, spotless, and righteous. The sin that he took from you and put on himself, it's not on you anymore and it's not on him either. His ascension is assurance to us that we have been truly forgiven. We truly can be washed clean. Jabeth, my wife and I, we, we have a dog named Raleigh. Uh, and Raleigh is very cute, as you can see. Uh, but one of the terrible traits that Raleigh has is that uh, when we're outside, she loves to find the smelliest, just like worst possible imagine, worst thing you can imagine. And whatever you're thinking, it's worse than that. And she'll roll around in it ravenously, just cover her body with it. And, and the thing is that when, whenever Jabeth and I try to clean her, no matter how much soap we use, no matter how long we scrub her and we rinse her and we think she's good, the, the stench, it just doesn't go away. It just kind of lingers. And then she'll come up to us later in the day and we're so excited to see her. But then we get the whiff of the stench and we turn her face. Oh, Raleigh. 
Maybe we feel like that with our sin, that we try so hard with all of our might to scrub ourselves clean, to wash it away, and it feels like no matter what, the stench just will not go away. It lingers. And we have this fear that we're going to come to God, and we, maybe we don't even feel like we can come to God because we think he's going to look at us, get a whiff of that stench, and turn his face in disgust. But when we see Jesus ascending to heaven, it is a guarantee, it is a guarantee that our sins have been forgiven. That just like we talked about earlier, when we confess our sins together as a church and we hear the proclamation from 1 John, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The ascension guarantees that. The ascension also, Jesus told his disciples that it was to his advantage to go away. This meant that, that they would have the Holy Spirit because he left. And, and so when we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells with us, it is uh, because Jesus reigns now in heaven. What that means is that, that God's presence, at, at one time it dwelled in a specific temple. At one place in time, you could kind of get near it and have God's presence there. And then God's presence came in the person of Jesus. And it was in one specific place and time perfectly here on the earth. But now that Jesus is in heaven and he has sent the Holy Spirit, we have God's presence everywhere that believers are. He dwells within us because Jesus is in heaven. His ascension assures us of that. So where is Jesus now? He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And when we see him there, we can start to see Jesus in all of his glory. But, but as he's at the right hand, what, what exactly is he doing? You might even ask the question, is he doing anything? When he, went to the, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he meant it. The, the once and for all sacrifice that he made was everything that we need to have possibility of salvation. Jesus Jesus meant it when he said it's finished. He doesn't have to stand like the priests did in the temple and make sacrifices over and over and over again. His once and for all sacrifice is enough. And so he sits at the right hand. And yet when we think about Jesus sitting, we should not have the image of him in one of those new fancy camp chairs where it rocks and it reclines and he's got his feet kicked up just hanging out by the beach. When Jesus sits, it's much more like a judge coming into a courtroom and calling it to order. And he has authority and power there. Or like the language of scripture gives us like a king on a throne who, who ascends to the throne to receive glory and honor, but also to get to work ruling and reigning over his people. What, what kind of work does Jesus do as he sits on the throne? More than we can imagine. Uh, as, as you might guess, being king of the universe is a pretty busy job. There's at least two things I want us to see today that he does for us as he sits at the right hand. First, as he sits at the right hand, he intercedes as our great high priest. He's the mediator, the go-between between a holy God and us, an unholy people. When God looks at Jesus at his right hand, he sees his righteousness. He sees the perfect sacrifice. Jesus sits there as an eternal testament to that perfect sacrifice, which means now when he looks, when the father looks at us, he sees 
Jesus, and he sees his righteousness. And we come before the throne because of that. I grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, Fort Campbell is is a big military base in that town. Uh, As you approach Fort Campbell and you come to one of the the secure, heavily harmed entrances, uh, you'll encounter a guard. And they're friendly, but also very serious about their job. And if you don't have the proper credentials, you have no chance of getting past and of going in. And it would be foolish for you to even try. But if you are with someone who does have the proper credentials, then they can show that to the guard and you can both go forward and you enter on their behalf. Their access becomes your access. Imagine now that you enter into Fort Campbell and you're with the general of the army. He shows his credentials and he looks at you and he says, he's with me, she's with me. And not only do they let us in, they open the gates wide, they roll out the red carpet, and we enter on his behalf. His access becomes our access. Even his honor becomes our honor. This is what Jesus does for us. He stands before the throne. He's at the right hand. And with his nail-scarred hands, he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, he's with me. She is with me. And we can enter in because of his access. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His intimacy with the Father becomes our intimacy with the Father. Jesus sits on the throne serving as our great high priest. But he also sits on the throne and serves as our true king. All throughout the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, it uses language and it describes this future true king that will reign over all things. That's talking about Jesus. It's looking ahead to the reign and rule of Jesus the king. Psalm 47 is just one great example. The Lord the the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. Sing praises to our king, for God is the king of all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. It's all throughout the Psalms, all throughout the Old Testament even. We see this hope of the true king, and it's Jesus. And so our savior and redeemer who laid down his life for us sits on the throne and he protects his people. He preserves his church. By his very word, he holds the universe together. When we think about the fact that Jesus' rightful place is on the throne above, is ruling over all things, what he did on the cross becomes that much more spectacular. When we think about Philippians 2, the verses that we read earlier, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Jesus is God. He has the position of God on high, and he empties himself and lowers himself. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we start to see what Jesus did in coming down to us, and we see how high up he was in reigning, and we see the sacrifice, it's incredible. Theologians have called this the humiliation of Christ, this downward descent for us. But his, his humiliation while we should celebrate it, we should, we should not forget that it is followed by his exaltation. Philippians 2 continues, Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He lowered himself to the lowest possible extent, but he did not stay there. He was raised up, he was exalted, and he sits on high, ruling and reigning. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And he sits in glory even right now in this moment. What is Jesus doing in heaven? He is serving as our great high priest. And he's ruling and reigning as our king. Where does this meet you today? Maybe you're, you're somebody that you're not sure uh, if you believe this again. Maybe uh, you're not sure if this Jesus is really worth giving your life to. And maybe your image of Jesus has been too small. You've seen him just as a baby in a manger. You've seen him as a man walking thousands of years ago. A good example, a nice teacher. When we start to see the king of the universe who gave his life for you, that is a king we can give our lives to. So, so maybe for you, it's trusting him. It's turning to him, saying that he is Lord. Maybe this morning you're struggling with guilt and shame over past mistakes. You know in your head that if you confess your sins, God will forgive it. That knowledge is there, but in your heart, you think there's no way it could be true for you. The promise must not apply to you. If that's you this morning, we need to see Jesus in all of his glory, standing on the throne, but yet with nail-scarred hands looking at you. You're here with me. And you come before the throne of God because of him. Maybe you're in a situation where you're starting to see that following Jesus uh, is going to be costly. It's going to be difficult. It could be that you're a student and you feel like following Jesus means that you're going to miss out on the fun that the world has to offer. Maybe you're a business owner and you're starting to realize that obedience to God might mean that your bottom line is going to take a significant cut and it's going to hurt a little bit. Maybe you're just starting to feel like standing firm in the faith is going to lead to some rejection from others, maybe even scorn, maybe even persecution. When we see Jesus ascended to heaven and sitting on the right hand of God the Father, we with the disciples can have the strength and the courage to proclaim the gospel in the face of all kinds of obstacles. Maybe for you this morning, the circumstances of life are just overwhelming. The idea that Jesus is king sounds impossible because of the sorrow and the pain that you are feeling even now. And maybe if you think that he is a king, you're not so sure he's a good one. The king of the universe, Jesus, is the same Jesus that weeps with us in our sorrows as we mourn. And he's the one who promises that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. One day death shall be no more, there shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. When we see Jesus in all of his glory, we see a king who is capable and promises to do this. And we do believe that the day is coming when Jesus will crush his enemies beneath his feet. All will be made right. We believe that that day is coming. 
But in the meantime, how do we know that we can trust him? How do we know that he is worth giving our lives to even now? As I've been thinking through this line and preparing for today, a thought has consistently struck me. And it's the fact that Jesus sits on the throne in a physical human body. It was seen and touched and now sits in heaven. This means that our great king and our great high priest knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to struggle as we do, to suffer. It says that he endured every temptation and trial known to man. He knows what it's like, and he sees it all as the king. The Tour de France started yesterday. It's a 21-day grueling bike race through the mountains of France. Uh, One of the things that you may not know about cycling is that it's actually a team sport, uh, and each of those teams has a coach. And so if you turn on the race, you'll start to see these coaches and they're riding along in cars and they're yelling and they're screaming at their teams and they're directing and motivating. Sometimes they're giving like strategy and technique what they need to do. And as a fan sitting at home, you might start to wonder two things. Uh, One, what do you need a coach for? Don't you just need to ride faster than the other guys? And two, uh, what gives these guys the right to sit comfortably in their cars, there's air conditioning, they have snacks and drinks, and they're yelling at these riders on the road to go faster, to do this, to do that. What, how, how can they do that? What are these coaches all about? But as I've learned more about the sport, I've started to see that there really is a complex strategy and technique in the way that the teams work together. And these coaches, when they're in the car, they can see things that the riders can't see. They know things that the riders don't know. They have the TV coverage and they have race radios and they have maps and they can see the bigger picture. And so they can tell the riders when they need to wait. They can tell them when they need to push, when it's time to sprint, when it's time to drink water even. They can see the bigger picture so they can lead and guide and direct their teams even when it doesn't make sense to the riders and doesn't make sense to us. At the same time, most of these coaches at one point used to be cyclists themselves. Many of them rode the Tour de France. And so that means that they know what it's like. They know what it's like for your heart rate to be maxed out for three hours out of your day. They know what it's like to pedal for hours on end into a headwind just for somebody else to get the victory. They know what it's like to descend a mountain at 60 miles an hour wearing nothing but a very, very thin layer of spandex. They know what they're asking of these riders because they have been there themselves. This is our King Jesus. He is mighty in power and glory. He reigns over the entire universe. He sees things that we can't see. He knows things that we don't know and we can trust him as our King. And yet at the same time, he is our great high priest who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses who knows our sorrows and pains and knows what it is to be human. He is the king and he's also the one who, when he asks us to follow him, to pick up our cross, he does so as one who knows the full weight of the cross and as one who knows the full glory of life forever with God the Father. When we see Jesus in all of his glory, not as an infant in a manger, 
not a man walking around Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, not even just as a man on a cross. When we see Jesus in all of his glory ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, we see a God that we can give our lives to. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God who's worthy of giving our lives to. Thank you for this reality that you love us enough to have sent your son, that you raised him from the dead, that he is even now at your right hand, and it's in his name that we are even able to pray before you and come before you. God, we pray that we would have hearts to believe this, that we would know that, that because Jesus ascended to heaven, there is assurance of salvation. We have the power of the Holy Spirit We can see that he is ruling as our king and he's our great high priest and it would give us comfort and strength throughout all of our days. Would we believe that? And it is in the King Jesus' name that we pray, amen.